0: Let's bow our heads where you are. I'd like us to just pray for yourself. Pray that God will prepare our hearts and where you are and pray also for Vincent. Then later on I will lead us in a time of prayer. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you that once again we have this privilege of coming into your presence
1: to listen to your word.
0: And I pray that God, you will anoint the lips of Vincent as he shares your word, Father. I pray that you will strengthen him, you empower him, you anoint him, Father. Let him speak forth with your confidence and your authority. And I pray that God, we also be attentive, open our hearts, Father, ready to receive your word. To be challenged, to be encouraged, to be motivated. And I pray that you will not just be a hate knowledge, but rather, Lord, I pray that you will touch our hearts and spur us on into action, into applying and obeying your words. Father, we commit this time to you. Thank you in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Um, and good morning. Let me just get this to the side. You know, a few days ago, um, not, not a few days, a few weeks ago uh, We were just having an idle uh, chat in the office with a few colleagues And um, we were talking about a topic of this uh, I don't know how many of you are football fans here And there was a Liverpool versus uh, the Singapore national team uh, Some time back And we were just uh, discussing that And uh, some of us were just expressing our disgust that uh, actually quite a few Singaporeans uh, supported uh, Liverpool uh, rather than the national, the Singapore national team, the Lions. So we're saying, people misplaced identities. Uh. Um, are they are they Liverpool fans first, then Singaporeans second? And then uh, a mainland Chinese colleague was uh, with us, and he was uh, just joining in the idle discussion, uh, the chatter. And he said, relax, ah, it's just for fun, this Liverpool-Singapore thing And then another colleague quickly shot back and said If it's Liverpool versus China, uh, who will you support? He said, of course China Uh, So, (laughs) You know, last week we talked about allegiance, devotion And uh, truly, what we swear our allegiance to Will determine our identity I think that's why the Singapore government itself struggles with uh, actually what makes a Singaporean. And, and why is it important? I, I think it's important that the fact that our government, who is, uh, which, is, which is known to be quite um, forward-looking, uh, worries about it, uh, I believe uh, shows the, the wisdom of it. But let me talk about what drives our identity first. Um, I want to suggest that what drives our identity, who we are, is very much determined by our affiliations. What do I mean by affiliations? Affiliations is the things that we relate to. And I want to suggest to you from my own life experience Okay, I didn't do a survey on this uh, I don't have uh, conclusive results But from looking at my own lives And having been involved with youth and then young adults I realised that when we are young uh, Our identity is very much determined by who we are affiliated to Right So when you are a small kid you are very, Your identity is very determined by, by your parents By, 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 by yeah, your, your siblings and your parents um, And As you grow into a teenager, which some of you are here, uh, our identity is very much also driven by who we are affiliated to, but this time around it's not the parents anymore. It's the friends, right? Peer pressure is a huge thing. It doesn't go away in adulthood, but it's really a huge thing uh, in in the teenage stage. So our affiliation, our identity is very driven when we're young, uh, broadly speaking, um, by our affiliations to people. Then as we grow older, uh, our identity is more driven by Our affiliations to things Right, uh, as I grew older I realised that I was more and more Identifying myself with the work I do uh, And the things I have Right uh, And some people even uh, The possessions, the residential addresses That they have defines them correct? Uh, And These are the affiliations I'm talking about I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you're either at one end of the spectrum Or another, I don't, I don't think that a teenager is totally defined by uh, the people he's affiliated to. I don't think an adult like me is totally, affiliated, uh, totally defined by uh, the things I'm affiliated to. I think we're, we're probably somewhere in between, but it's just that when you grow older, you probably get more affiliated to things and vice versa. When you're younger, you're more affiliated to people. And I think it's a lifelong thing. We're always defined by the people and the things uh, that we're affiliated to. This combination, this intertwining of people, the network of relationships, and our occupation uh, defines us And why, why, why is that important? Uh, I think it's important because and, and, and I think it's important And our government is also concerned about it Because it determines um, this, thing called I, this thing I call meaning in life right? Your identity uh, actually determines your Whether you have meaning in life or not Let me give you an example uh, If you wake up on a Monday uh, I hope that you, s- you feel a sense of purpose and meaning to life because uh, you're going to a hospital because you're the pediatrician, right? Or you're going to a school because you're a teacher, or you're going to Johor because you're a chiropractor, right? Uh, and your clinic is there. Uh, or you're going to NUS because uh, you're going to study and you're going to ace the exams. Uh, there, there is a, an affiliation to that, and w- whether you consciously or unconsciously, you feel that um, he's... Uh, I'm distracted by a small boy Uh, He's Where was I? Uh, Yeah, you are You you get this sense of purpose on a Monday Because of what you're going to do Then what happens on a weekend? A weekend, again you wake up And some of you wake up with more energy on weekends uh, Because there's again Another purpose to life And why? There's a purpose in life Because this afternoon you're going to go to dim sum With your friends, right? or you're going to go to this place, or that place, or you're going to go foot trail later. And that gives you meaning in life, right? Not, not exactly the <laughs> meaning in life, but it gives you a reason to wake up, right? Uh, and that's what I mean. Our identity, what we're affiliated to, broadly speaking, this doesn't have to be a science, but I'm just trying to tell you why it's important. It's important because it determines um, uh, whether we feel purposeful in this life or not, whether we feel uh, worth in this life. And if you have been doing the four sessions thus far, Roots and Wings, uh, you probably know the drill by now, right? Uh, what, what, what is day one? Day one is what? You have been doing Roots and Wings, right? Okay, never mind. Uh, day one is, what is the human weakness, right? What is the human weakness? And you know, as we... What is the pitfall? You know, as we, as we mature, I just want to share another point. That as we mature we actually shift from this thing called youthful idealism uh, to this thing called realism, right? Or pragmatism. Let me give you, give you an example. Um, most of you have been used before and some of you are still used. You realize that there is a passion uh, and there's an idealism uh, in believing in something bigger than yourselves. Okay? And this is not just, just religious people, right? Uh, if you read about the Cultural Revolution and if you haven't read, you should read it. Uh, in China. Uh, a huge piece of that movement is about uh, them being able to convince the youths, uh, and who organized themselves into this thing called the Red Army, who were able to, to be so passionate about a communist cause that they were willing to deny parents, they were even willing to beat up their parents uh, for the communist cause, a cause bigger than themselves. Right? So that's youthful idealism. Some of you have that, not exactly communism, I hope it's not communism. Um, and my parents were like that. My parents were Chinese educated. And they, they, they tell me they participated in the Chinese high incident. Whatever that incident was. And my mom was tear gassed. My dad was uh, arrested uh, for a couple of days. Uh, youthful idealism. You ask my 70-year-old parents today. They say that's the stupidest period of their lives. Right? They said that was stupid. Communism was stupid. It's a disillusion. Um, they have moved on to better things in life. But youthful idealism. Then along the way, as we grow older, we become more pragmatic. And that's what Singaporeans are very known to be. we pragmatic. We become, I don't know whether it's because we're this illusion with all these focus pocus kind of ideal causes or we become a lot more um, focused on the here and now. We don't think about causes bigger than ourselves. And maybe that's why people support Liverpool rather than Singapore national team. Right? Uh, maybe the Singaporeans being very pragmatic think that um, they don't believe in fairy tale endings anymore. They don't believe that if the whole nation goes behind the Lions, which is the Singapore national team, there can be such a special thing that may happen that may help them uh, win Liverpool. So they do their sums and they say, oh, forget it, let's support the winning team, right? Let's support Liverpool, Let, let's ignore being Singaporeans. I don't know whether that's what went through the thought process of these people, or maybe they don't, just don't think, huh? they, just, they just support whoever they want to support. But you, you get this feel that as we move from young to older, our uh, identities are also increasingly shaped more by, um, from youthful idealism to pragmatism. We're more and more pragmatic about who we are based on what we see, and what we feel, and what we can identify with uh, in the physical. And I just want to um, share that with you, because um, scripture, you know, many of us spend tons of money to listen to Lee Kuan Yew, or Bill Clinton or General Schwarzkopf or Colin Powell. These were were big seasoned, battle-hardened kind of people who have gone through life and and when they publish a book, it flies off the shelf. Uh, And we pay tons of money to do that. But I want to tell you that the book you have in your hand called the Bible, that that is really a book of wisdom. That's free. And that has a lot of wisdom in it. And that gives you instruction for life. And you really should study it. And, And today I want to just share with you something from the Old Testament uh, about a wise man, a a really wise man who said, hey, I'm going to be very pragmatic about this. I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to see uh, how uh, I can find meaning in life. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of our lives. What's, What's worthwhile, right? And he said, this is what I did. I took great projects. I built houses. I made gardens. I bought male and female slaves. I owned more herds. I amassed silver and gold, treasure. I acquired male and female singers. I even had a, had a, he even had a harem, okay? and, which, is, which is a big group of ladies for his, uh, for his sensual pleasure. And the delights of a man's heart. Right? You ask a man, he'll know what it means. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. So there was power, there was pleasure, there was ownership, there was possessions, significance, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor. So I actually found joy in in, in what I do. And this was the reward for all my toil, that pleasure that I get from working. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and this was probably when he was older, and what I had taught to achieve, everything was meaningless. So this wise guy is kind of truncating your learning for you. Okay, we we learn from Scripture because Scripture truncates learning for you. What do I mean? We don't want you to end up as old men and women who have been climbing this ladder all the way, and you heard this story before, you climb this ladder all the way, only when you are 75 do you discover the ladder is leaning against the wrong building. Right, that's pretty tragic. And that's what Scripture does. Scripture tells you early to learn from a guy called Solomon who said that if you're going to climb this ladder called project building and amassing wealth and getting significant, and having time, and to live for pleasure, uh, then, let me tell you, if that defines you, if it's just about earthly ownership and achievements, Solomon is telling you, "Joke, okay? wait, I'm telling you, regardless of the scale of the achievement, and I have a lot of respect for you guys, but with all due respect, I don't think any of us are going to be able to achieve the kind of scale that he had. I hope none of you have a harem. Alright, but Uh, other than that, uh, this guy had the resources, the abilities, the intelligence, the network to do all these things. And I don't think any of us are going to, maybe some of us may come close, but this guy is telling us, if it's just this, if this is going to define you, joke is not worth it. He's not saying these things are bad, okay? He's not saying these things are bad. He's just saying, if these things are going to define you, if these things are going to be what you're going to be remembered for, then I'm telling you, it's not worth it. Then I give you, since you, are, you may say Old Testament, very old, uh, I give you New Testament. Okay? New Testament, another very wise person, and his Apostle Paul. And he says, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Okay? And then he goes into this whole thing about his pedigree. Who he's related to. Circumcised on the eighth day, so I'm a Jew, true blue Jew of the people of Israel. Very proud of it his affiliation to this tribe of people, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, pure, pure. Okay? And in regard to the law of Pharisee, so going to works already, as for zeal, passion, some of us are defined by our zeal and our passion for, I don't know, climate change or iPhone or I don't know what, but some of us are defined by our passions. And he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So this guy again goes into another, another rigmarole of, of list of things and he says, But the conclusion is important. Same word, but longer. Meaningless. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider lost. So in other words, he said meaningless, rubbish. My pedigree, my human relationships, my achievements, even my passions. Those things don't define me. Again, we must be careful. He's not saying these things are worthless. Okay? He's not saying these things are worthless, but he's saying they shouldn't define you. Okay, so the book of wisdom is teaching us these things. What should not define us? And uh, here, I just want to pause to clarify a point. More for the first service, but maybe also for the second service. You know, I showed this chart three weeks ago, and uh, I got some comments that, "Hey, don't, don't, don't rubbish riches. Uh, don't poo poo my Coach bag, my Prada bag, my, my. Don't know what. I don't know what, uh, don't know what uh, some, some, <laughs> some names I don't know. Uh, don't, don't, don't poo poo my BMW and my and my." Nassim Road Apartment, uh, and this this was the chart. And I want to clarify that really my intent was not to poo-poo any of your possessions that you have. Now the blessings that you have uh, are good things, right? And in fact, I believe they come from God. And I even want to tell you that the Bible actually says God wants you to be rich. And do you know that the Bible also says God wants you to be great? He wants you to have riches. He just wants you to have the type that moths cannot destroy and rust cannot destroy. He does not want you to have the kind of riches like the US dollar that depreciates like this or the euro that is highly unstable. He is just telling you, I want you to be rich, but please be rich for the right things. I want you to be great. In fact, I even give you a formula to be great. If you want to be great, serve the rest. He has nothing against riches. He has nothing against greatness. He just says, Don't buy the imitation one. Okay. Don't settle for non-real riches. Don't settle for non-real significance. And Jesus showed the way. Philippians is very clear. When Jesus gave up everything, God exalted him to the highest place. So the formula works. God is not against greatness. In fact, Paul says, I run to what? I run to win, you know. Paul says, I am looking forward to my crown. I am rewarded. Driven. I am focused on getting something for my effort. He is not some holy moly scavenger just looking around for rubbish, crumbs in this life and then just slick it into the next life like that. No. He aims high. So God is not against us aiming high or whatever. Neither is God against <clears throat> the things we have, um, the BMWs, the, the, the houses. That's fine. God gives us all that. In fact, I have a, I have a healthy bank account, I confess to you. Alright? And I like it. It's, it's okay. I thank God for it. Alright? And so, nothing wrong with that. Abraham, Joseph, Daniel, very significant people, very rich people. It's only an issue when you say that these things define me. Okay? It only becomes an issue. And later we're going to talk about that. We must not be the proverbial monkey, you know. You know, you know this monkey? I brought this monkey today. Alright? This is my, my son's monkey. And I want you to remember this if you, remember, if you forget the rest of the message You just remember this monkey right? You all you know, you know the story of the monkey, right? Who, who put his Who slid his hand into this very tight uh, Peanut jar And then he grabbed a few peanuts And then because he clenched his fist He cannot get it out You know that one, right? You you, you should know by now And I want to expand that story to say That, you know, most of the times we We define ourselves by, by the things that Solomon and Paul Want us about, peanuts, you know We define ourselves by peanuts and we clench our fists and, and all the time, actually God is telling us Hey, there's a bigger Better jar But first, uh, you gotta, you gotta, you, gotta really, you gotta really Let go of the, the Clench fist Get it out so that you can get into that Bigger and better jar Don't settle for peanuts Let go, let God That's something that we are very familiar with now, since we have been warned about what not to bank our identities on, what should not define us, I want us to learn from three biblical characters what, how then should we define, how then should we be defined by. Okay? I'll be very honest with you, on a Sunday like this, where we, are, where we are healthy and wealthy and happy, and we're just raring to go for a food trail, and we can enjoy food and all that, uh, We're all very um, likable people. We're we all easy to like. One, I mean, when nothing is wrong, you're very easy to like, right? The, on, the only issue, I, I don't become likable when you put me under pressure, right? If you give me an impossible deadline, if if my kid is sick, if all three kids are sick, or uh, I have something bad happen to me, then I believe that's where the core self comes out. The true Vincent will then come out, right? In Econ and all that kind of nice thing. You probably see a pretty nice guy. Uh, but under pressure. And these are what I call the defining moments. These are the real moments when you see the true self. And I always I always find it's so true when when I'm driving, and somebody suddenly cuts into my lane. And I can be thinking and praying and all that. And then somebody cuts into my lane. And I go and, and, and immediately you ask, hey, where did that come from? And and God tells you, Actually, hey, that's the true you. That's 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 what you're full of. Right? That's why when you shake a bit, the thing comes up. Uh, and, and that's what we want to talk about. The true you, the core self. Right? And we're going to study from three people how, they, how the core self came out. The first one is uh, Abraham. Uh, and I just want to show you um, in Genesis 22. Um, you know, Abraham had waited all his life for a treasured possession called Isaac. Isaac was it. His whole life, uh, his whole promise from God uh, hinged on this guy called Isaac. So one day he nearly, I think if it was us, we would go ballistic. One day I think he really didn't believe his years when God said, take your son and to make it worse, don't know why God got to describe it some more. Your only son whom you love. I don't know why he had to twist the knife a bit deeper. Uh, But, it was is is written there. Take your son, whom your only son, whom will Isaac, and then sacrifice him on the mountain Moriah, which I'm going to show you. And the amazing thing is, I don't know. Abraham is obviously uh, a a a solid guy because early the next morning he did that. Early the next morning, not late afternoon after lunch. Early the next morning, uh, he did that. And we just want to go into the psyche of Abraham. Hey, how did a guy, under pressure like this, where he was where he his whole life had been building up to this climax of a treasured possession, how did he how was he able at this defining moment to when his core self came out, uh, it was still a self that trusted God. So we're gonna go into his psyche, we're gonna go how he thinks. And Hebrews 11 gives us the clue of how he thought. You know, verse 19, just gotta look at the last verse. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, So this guy actually went and I was just sharing my CG that day. This guy actually thought that even if I kill Isaac, eh, because God is God, uh, the promise won't be gone because uh, God can raise him from the dead. You know what was at stake? At stake was a treasured possession, right? At stake was a treasured relationship. The only one, only son. It was even an entitlement, I think. I think if it was us, we would think that God was entitled to this one because you promised me. Right there. After I wait for so long, until a hundred years old, I got it. Now you take it away? No way! I'm entitled to this. I deserve this. Most of us would have reasoned like that. Uh, if Isaac was so treasured, God, I'm going to defy you. I'm not going to give him to you. But Abraham's paradigm was interesting, right? His thought process. His reasoning was something like this: If God says so, if God decides so, then. I will obey. Because I trust in His absolute power and His absolute willingness to do what is absolutely good. Okay? We kind of sum it up like this. I trust God. I trust in His absolute power and absolute willingness to do what is absolutely good. Abraham probably lived by this maxim. In the end, it will be good. If it's not good, is not the end. Right? That's probably something that he, he lived by. He trusted in God's absolute power, absolute willingness to do what is absolutely good. So he said, Even if, I need, if God, and I, I wanted to be very clear here, he, he heard God clearly. It's okay? important to hear God clearly. Don't, don't start doing silly things when you, when you haven't heard from God, especially radical moves like this. So when he heard clearly that God said this, he went ahead and do, did it because he trusted in God's absolute power absolute willingness to do what's absolutely good. So that's one. Dealing with a treasured uh, treasured possession, the defining moment for Abraham, exceptional trust in God. Exceptional trust in God's power and God's um, goodness. Okay, now we want to look at a lady, just to balance it up. Okay, Uh, Esther. Esther, I just took this from chapter 2, you can go back and read it. Esther enjoyed... Favor after favor after favor. He went to the king's harem and then the eunuch who was supposed to take care of them, Haggai, she found favor with him. Okay, so this, this eunuch just like her. Okay, and said, wow, I, 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 I favor you. And then she won the favor of everyone who saw her. Oh, this lady is impossible, right? She won the favor of everyone who saw her in the palace. And then the best thing, the ultimate prize, when the king saw her, the king loved her, and the king favoured her. So, favour, favour, favour. Okay, then the hiccup comes when um, the hiccup comes when she was in the palace, sitting pretty, enjoying all the favours of the Lord, and favours of blessings, and all that. And um, her cousin Mordecai comes, right? And says, oh no, your husband, the king, has sent a decree to annihilate all the Jews. Right? Can you do something about it? And, and what, this is the defining moment for Esther, right? What's at stake? At stake is all this favor, right? I mean, I've been enjoying a good life. Come on, right? Manicure, pedicure, wow. milk treatment, I don't know what else. Uh, and, and this is good, right? The king loves me. I eat what I want. And what, what is you know, Mordecai, you know that I cannot just walk to the king. I will die What is at stake is my life And I think more than my life What is at stake is all this favour I can't Displease him Right And then Mordecai Who is quite a tough cousin actually uh, Not not a very good cousin to have uh, Said this When Esther's words were remodeled to Mordecai He said Please You really think You really think uh, All this favour is for no reason Right, Who knows That you have come to your royal position For such a time as this I think we are very familiar with this story But just to recap What was at stake? A position of favour, power, blessings Again, most of us would have reasoned the other way God, it took me so much To get to this position of favour and blessing It would be silly to jeopardise it all But what was Esther's reasoning? What was her maxim in life? What did she live by? I believe her reasoning was such. Like Abraham, she said, much of the blessings that come from God in my life is because God loves me. And we've got to be comfortable with that. God wants to bless you because God loves you. You don't have to think that God sees you as a labourer or, or something and you're just his servant. No, Jesus loves you and he wants to bless you. And I have been a beneficiary of God's blessings as I, as I believe you have if you count your blessings. So God does bless us. for, But... I think she also realised that her position, her resources, the favour bestowed on her thus far cannot be just for herself It cannot be just for gratification So what was the maxim that, that um, <clears throat> Esther lived by? I am blessed for a reason That's the maxim she lived by That was a defining moment I'm blessed for a reason and I'm ready So <clears throat> the defining moment has come now I believe this is the reason I'm going to stake my life on it. I'm going to try to talk to the king. Okay, blessed for a reason. And awareness that our position, resources, favor, etc., etc., bestowed on us is for a reason and not just for self. God loves you, yes. He gives you a lot. But let's also understand it is for a reason. <clears throat> so that's Esther. John the Baptist is the third one we're going to look at. And, and this is an amazing story of the disciples coming to John and saying, Rabbi, can you believe this? The man, Jesus, whom you are promoting, whom you were promoting, whom you were propagating, do you know what? He's stealing all your clients. Right? They're all going to him. Your baptism business is going to go under. Nobody wants to be baptized by you anymore. It's all Jesus now. In fact, you have helped him by propagating. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just imagining. Right? But basically, this is what John 3.26 says. It is amazing that John, you are losing it. Your significance, your successful venture, you're losing it. And I think John probably summarized Abraham and Esther very well. Amazing guy. Listen to what he says in John 3.27. A person, he tells them, relax. What's wrong with you? Relax. A person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So I'm fully aware that my past successes and my current losing it, all this is from God. I'm cool about it. And then he says, I am not the Messiah. I am clear about who I am and who I'm not. I am not it. I am not the center of the world. I am not the purpose of the universe. I am not it. And then he says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. What does it mean? I know what belongs to me. I know what doesn't belong to me. And the bride doesn't belong to me. The baptism business doesn't belong to me. The friend who attends the bridegroom, that's him, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I know my role. I am the friend of the bridegroom. And then his famous words, He must become greater, I must become less. Awesome, right? John sums it up. Like Abraham A person can receive only what is given them from heaven The Isaacs, the favour, the position of Esther The blessings, the successes Your blessings, your successes The favour, the significance you enjoy All from heaven Live with an open hand Like John Second, I'm not the Messiah I'm sent ahead of him An awareness of who I am And more importantly, who I'm not Right the bride, gro- the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Awareness of what belongs to you, what does not belong to you. The friend who attends the bridegroom. An awareness of his role. and that He must become greater, I must become less. An awareness of the end game. John was aware of the end game. That in the end, it will be good for you and I. If it's not good for you and I, it's not the end. What's a common thread that runs through these three characters? One, no illusions of grandeur about themselves. They didn't entertain this thing that, oh, it's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. Therefore, they held their positions with an open hand. The significance, the power, the treasure, possession, the only son, uh, the popularity, the successes of the business, held with an open hand. And they put themselves totally at risk if God does not deliver. Now, if if God didn't deliver, Isaac would be gone. If God didn't didn't deliver, Esther would lose her life. If God didn't deliver, John would be a nobody. And they put themselves totally at risk if God does not deliver. I want to contrast this with a lesson the Lord has been teaching me in Numbers 21. Don't be like this. Okay? Numbers 21. You remember these three guys that we just talked about? Abraham, Esther, John? And then there's Numbers 21, the Israelites. And these guys just came from a battle, a successful battle. They say, we pray, Lord, you help us to de- defeat the enemy and God just helped them defeat the enemy. And then they, they were travelling from this place called Mount Hall all the way to the Red Sea. And the people grew what? Impatient. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water. We detest this miserable food. Then in 1 Corinthians 10, Jesus uh, or Paul says, these people... Tested the Lord. Why, why is this testing the Lord? What's this got to do with testing the Lord? They didn't test the Lord. What? There was no examination for the Lord. But you know the problem is these complaints were very recurrent. If you read in Exodus and Numbers, these people were complaining the same things all the time. We shouldn't have come out of Egypt. We're gonna die. The food sucks. There's no water to drink, and uh, and 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 I just hate it. They are always complaining. So why is that testing the Lord? It's testing the Lord because it says God. Every day, you have to prove yourself. The manner yesterday is passé. Yesterday is yesterday. Today is today. So prove yourself. Now, I'm in a fix now. I'm at this place called Mao Hall. I don't know where that is. And there's no food. And I'm upset. And I'm angry. So please prove yourself. I just sang that you're a faithful God, so be faithful now. That is testing the Lord. Whereas Abraham, if they were Abraham, they'll, 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 be, they'll, be, they'll, be, they'll be probably rolling on the floor and say, no, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. I don't want to give you Isaac, right? You wicked God. And that is testing the Lord. Where When it comes to a defining moment where God says, will you trust me? The answer is a big, fat no. What about the past? It's passé. I want bread and I want it now. I want milk and I want it now. I want water, and I want it now. So that is testing the Lord. So don't be like this when the hard times come. Be like Abraham. Be like um, Esther. Be like uh, John the Baptist. I just want you to listen to this song. I want to thank, I want to thank uh, Matthew Hui for sending this link on this, uh, I don't know, the Youth What Love Gen board, which I'm on. And he sent this thing about a song that encouraged him And this this song is by a a lady called Laura Story And the song's name is Blessings And he sent the link about why she wrote this song And my heart went out to her when I read the story Amazing The story is about when she was married I think both of them were 28 And she went through marriage counselling Both of them Christians And she said marriage counselling taught me how to manage my finances Some of you have gone through, you know it Uh, How to resolve conflicts, etc, etc But she said Marriage counseling didn't teach me how to handle it when my husband has a brain tumor. Awesome. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And she, and she really thought that God was just going to heal the, the the brain tumor and they will go around the world testifying. And uh, God didn't. Um, it was a defining moment for her. God didn't. So do you choose the Numbers 21 uh, response? Um, or do you choose the Abraham, Esther, John the Baptist response? And this is the song. And I just want uh, Edwin... Uh, limb to play it
2: <coughs> We pray for blessings We pray for peace Comfort for family protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand.
0: Thanks. I want to thank uh, Matthew for sending this to the youth. It's really ministered to me as well. And, you know, um, I'm a highly competitive person. Uh, I, 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 I hate to lose. And uh, it's a weakness of mine. And even games, even tally match games in church camps, I, I take it very seriously, which is uh, not very good. Uh, and I remember every time um, we play it, we play these telematch games uh, when I'm in the team and we win. Uh, we, we play for the first time, we win. We are very happy until the game master say, okay, that was the demo, let's play the real thing. And uh, I, I think this, this, is, this is what the song and John the Baptist reminds us. And um, Rick Warren says it well, right? Our life on earth is a dress rehearsal. The real thing is eternity with Jesus. So don't, don't settle... Don't settle for the demo. Don't win the demo and miss the real thing. Remember the proverbial monkey. This one. Our destiny is not an insecure peanut-grabbing monkey. Your destiny is not to be gripped and stuck in a small peanut jar. God wants to give us a bigger, better jar or better things to come? What if if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? Do we have the ability to see beyond the raindrops? And there may be some of us who are enjoying the blessings of God and I want to say again that the blessings are there because you are a chosen people. Enjoy it. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God loves you. So don't be guilty about the blessings. All good things are from heaven. But there will come defining moments in our lives where God will test us and say, I want you. He knows how we are, but He wants us to know who we really are. And so he may put the, the, when you're driving, He may put the car just right in front of you and see how you react and let you be self-aware. And so there may be trials that come in our lives where God shows us this is a defining moment. Let's see how much you trust in my absolute goodness, my absolute power, and my absolute willingness to do good. Let's see if you are willing to acknowledge that the good things in your life today are for your stewardship and to be a blessing. Let's see when you start losing the things precious to you like John the Baptist. Do you remember the end game? Or are you going to focus on the demo, on the dress rehearsal? We need need to be defined like Abraham by our exceptional trust in the absolute power, absolute willingness, and absolute goodness of the Lord. We need to be defined like Esther by the stewardship of the Lord's blessings. And we need to be defined like John the Baptist by knowing the end game. This is not our home and this is not the end <clears throat> That's how I, I hope we can be defined by it. I just want to invite the musicians to come up and um, why don't we rise? And I just want to end off with this uh, this this prodigal son uh, parable that we're very familiar with. And I want to warn you against... uh, Because it's so much about trusting God and being affiliated with God and to be defined by that. The key thing is how we see God like Meng has preached that that, that two weeks ago. And and we really need to be careful not to be like the elder brother. We know the younger brother. But this elder brother one day storms in and says, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, Father. Yet you never gave even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. That was his mentality of the father. And then the father said, My son, what is wrong with you? You are always with me and everything I have is yours. God is not after your possessions. God is not after the favour that you enjoy. God is not after the position or the significance or the relationships that are precious to you. In all likelihood, God is the one who gave these to you. He is more concerned that you don't end up settling for these and let these define you because He used two wise men to tell you today that it's not going to be worth it. If you're going to be defined by those things, it's not going to be worth it. Be defined by an exceptional trust in God. Be defined by an exceptional stewardship of God's resources. Be defined by an exceptional grace to lose things when it's time to lose them because you know the end game. So I just want us to sing this response song and if this message speaks to you and you sense that the, the Lord wants you to stop being a monkey and, and, and to really um, aim high uh, and to help you change your paradigm you just come forward I just want to open the altar uh, whichever part of that sermon that speaks to you um, be Abraham Esther or John you just come forward and I want to pray with you let's just worship God with the song
1: This life that couldn't.
0: who want to respond as we sing this song again I want to encourage you if the Lord is speaking to you and I believe He is to just come forward just lay things at the altar and just to tell the Lord please change my paradigm I want I want to be defined by exceptional trust in you I want to be defined by good stewardship of, your ta- of my talents and my blessings and I want to be defined by knowing the end game So I just want to open the altar, I want to pray for you personally, and uh, if you feel the Lord speaking to you, uh, you just come forward as we worship again. we invite you to come to the front. We can still pray. And I just want to close in prayer now. Um, And if you want us to pray for you later on, please feel free to come forward. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. Lord, I want to pray for that kind of faith to abide in each and every one of us today. That faith that believes You are absolutely good. You are absolutely powerful. And you are absolutely willing, Lord, to exercise your power for good in our lives. I want to pray for that faith to rise, Lord. Especially for those of us who are at crossroads, Lord. Especially for those of us who are hungry or thirsty and are growing impatient, Lord, in our walk with you. I pray that, Lord, you will help us to put our trust in you I pray that Lord the words of that song will even minister to us that Lord sometimes indeed your ways are higher than ours and sometimes you bless through raindrops sometimes your mercies are disguised as trials Lord just help us to to put ourselves at risk believing that Lord you will deliver where you call us to a point of risking things Lord I pray for some years to hear it correctly. But Lord, if you're calling some of us to that place, clarify for us and give us that faith to lay these things like Abraham did at your feet, believing that Lord, you're a God of the impossible. Nothing can thwart your plans. I pray that Lord, you also put in each and every one of us a healthy awareness, a keen awareness that Lord, we're blessed for a reason, Lord. I pray that Lord you will help us to be good stewards of the position of power of significance of resources of intelligence of relationships of the network that you place us in Lord help us to be good stewards and Lord I pray that we'll all be like John the Baptist that Lord we will know the end game we will not be fussed about sometimes losing out but we will know who we are who we are not what belongs to us, what does not belong to us. And most importantly, we will know what truly gives us joy, Lord. And that is to see Jesus increase and us decrease. So Lord, depart us with your blessings. Continue to speak to us in your special way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.